You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. I walked across an empty land I knew the pathway like the back of my hand Welcome home, honey, where you belong. Is this the place we used to love? Is this the place that I've been dreaming of? You struggled with what happened. With what I did. Yes. With what you did. But help is here. Where have you gone? Good morning. I know I'm not who you expected to see. Just know I'm only here to help, and I look forward to meeting you all. So tell me when you're gonna let me in. I'm a Pretty rational guy. Something's happening here. You gonna let me in? We are living in a miraculous time. You gonna let me in? You gonna let me in? I think I'm crazy. I mean, what's a little crazy between friends, right? Come on. What are you doing? Come on. What is wrong with you? Stop it. It's not funny. Open your minds. Open your hearts. To run. I am so glad that you'll be with us for what comes next. there and welcome to Geekfest Rent. My name is Carlos Perone and today we are going to talk about two Netflix series. One of them called Midnight Mass, the other one Squid Game. Super popular shows, super successful shows I would say, especially Squid Game. It seems to be breaking all kinds of records in terms of viewership. Midnight Mass being one of my practically favorite things I've seen this year so far cannot be happier with these two new Netflix entries. So let's just cut to the chase and begin with Midnight Mass. Television is not the truth. Television is an amusement park. 
Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We're in the boredom killing business. All right, I want to talk about two shows I recently finished watching, uh, both of them on Netflix. One of them is Midnight Mass, and the other one is Squid Game. If you're on the internet in any of the Facebook groups or just general genre-centric, you know, popular television sites, you're going to see these two names popping up quite a bit. I am guilty of it myself, of talking a lot about these two, or at least uh, sharing articles about these two television shows, Netflix shows, actually. Up first, Midnight Mass. Well, I had no clue what this was about. And it's funny because these are Netflix shows, but it's interesting that Netflix doesn't advertise on Netflix. This is one of the rare, unusual things about the streaming services is that as opposed to cable shows or even television, of course, there's no commercials, but on cable Even if it's premium cable, you have the in-between information that comes, you know, while they're getting ready to watch the next film, they'll give you a little something. But in streaming services, really, there is no active, here's what's next kind of thing. The closest thing you have to it might be a banner uh, on the head of of Netflix or Amazon or whatever that changes, you know, through five or six different things, just a banner. It's, it's usually not active video, you know, with audio attached, but that is something that I wonder if eventually they'll get to. And I wouldn't mind because there are times when I'm not aware of something that's coming to Netflix or Amazon or whatever the this, this service happens to be. And you hear about it just by surfing the net or through uh, Facebook feeds. But I forget to mention that another thing I've been seeing lately is that when you're watching the beginning of the credits of something, if you don't specifically tell it to stay with the credits, if it's a series, it might go to the next episode right away. But if it's a movie, it now shows you the little trailers for maybe one, two, or three possible different suggestions that it has for you. So like I said, little by little, I think they're starting to inch into uh, (laughs) self-promotion within the channel itself. So this was one example of that. Midnight Mass is a a miniseries on uh, Netflix produced and directed by Mike Flanagan. The connection with Mike Flanagan that you and I uh, could, could, could kind of relate to is that he did previously for Netflix, The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor, which I kind of see those as connected in terms of their continuation to each other, almost like a series. I don't know if you can call Haunting of Bly Manor season two of Hill House, but it's kind of like that. It's the continuation of the haunted house genre. I remember Hill House, I liked quite a bit. Bly Manor, I liked not as much. I saw it a little bit repetitive in terms of that, but it had very good characters and and the relationships between those characters were very different than the ones on Hill House. So yeah, it it was interesting. You know, I liked it. 
around that time is when I made also the connection. That name Flanagan sounds familiar, you know, and then you start digging a little deeper. And he did the the film version of Dr. Sleep, which I'm sure to him was like amazing in terms of being able to adapt a Stephen King novel, which is he's a, a very big fan of Stephen King. But before that, his trial of a Stephen King novel, if you will, because again, this was a big deal kind of movie, but there was a made for, I think it was made for Netflix, actually, Gerald's Game that I remember watching and I loved that. That was such a great film. Another Stephen King novel, but obviously for streaming services. That's a great movie. That is a fantastic movie. He did such a great job uh, adapting a very um, limited space-wise story into a full-blown uh, presentation. Again, uh, you, you have to see it to, to, to understand it. And very recently, I haven't seen all of his work because I'm kind of working my work backwards. But very recently, I saw the movie Hush, which was I guess the one he did before Gerald's game in 2016. And yeah, you start to see there's a certain style to this guy. And, you know, even if he has very little to go with, he really expands on that little information. And you start to see some some actors kind of show up over and over again. But anyway, let's go to Midnight Mass. With Midnight Mass, I, I saw a trailer. That's how I, I clicked on it. And there's the trailer. And it's basically... Um, a sleepy little island town, you know, not a lot of people in it, and something starts to happen uh, having to do with the arrival of a new priest and strange phenomenon <laughs> that start to take place. I- I'm not going to get too crazy with episode-by-episode episode, uh, descriptions. Uh, there will be some spoilers here, hopefully not all of them, because I do want people to see this. This is this is really well-made. What's happening in the story is that this little sleepy town that is kind of on the edge of basically folding in terms of a lot of people have already moved out of this island. The economy is is a mess. There was apparently an oil spill that really affected, you know, the fishing in that area, which is what primarily was what sustained that entire island, uh, you know, to a certain extent. So many people had already left. One of the main characters we follow is a character that's returning to the island because he was involved in the DWI and ended up in jail because uh, somebody was killed. So he's returning to the island after uh, serving his sentence and he's coming back home. And and it's obvious his return home is not very pleasant. He's got a lot of baggage. He's got a ton of guilt on his shoulders. And the family that he's coming back to is 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 a little difficult in terms of he's got a brother, a younger brother, uh, a mom and a dad. The mom is the typical, you know, uh, you know, uh, I love him no matter what, and, and I'm so happy he's home. The father is just angry and doesn't get along with him, and uh, he they just don't um, they don't connect. The father in, in this relationship is played by Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas, as you guys probably remember, is the little kid from E.T., and he's appeared on a number of these miniseries already, the both of the Hauntings series, he's had roles in them, and he's an older man. I mean, he's kind of like my age, 
<laughs> you just don't expect to to see or, or or hear Henry Thomas as an adult. But but yes, he's he's there. In this particular series, it took me a couple of scenes to make sure it was him because I'm like, who's this grumpy old guy? And it's like, oh my god, that's Henry Thomas. I'm. This is probably his best role, at least in these uh, series that he's, that he's done. Wow, he's he's pretty good. Again, the guy that's returning, um, he's also great. His name is Zach Guilford, the actor. And he was somebody that also had left the island to get into the business world or whatever. And again, things went awry, and then he got into a, a car wreck, and then he went to jail. But he's also a new actor that I've, I'm not familiar with his work. You have a whole bunch of characters in the island, too. You have a, a, a single mom who's, who's, who's pregnant, a soon-to-be single mom who's uh, left her, uh, her, her wild life and came back to the island to, to uh, give birth to her son. You have all the typical type of weird characters, quirky characters. You have the town drunk. You have, you have a, a drug dealer somewhere in the mix. You have a family, a mixed family, a white dad, black mom, and a black girl who is in a wheelchair. I believe uh, you, also, you, know, you also have a, a, a sheriff uh, who is, uh, lives with his son, no wife, who are Muslims. Now, the, the sheriff is played uh, by Raul Coley. And he was in The Haunting of Bly Manor. He was really good in that one. And this one, he's really good too. This one, man, this is, this is a, 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 so well written. You have also the, the church. Because remember, this is all about the, the church. That is kind of like the focus point of this town, of what's left of this town. As the town slowly starts to fall apart, it has been falling apart for a while. Again, the economy's out the window. People are not making enough money. Some people seem to have this, you know, we're going to pull through this, we're going to get it done, and and it just doesn't seem to be heading in that direction, but the church seems to be the thing that the central point. But what's happening in this church is that the pastor of that church uh, was uh, sent to the mainland because he had some medical issues. And in return, they bring in a new pastor, a younger pastor. And right off the bat, you see him get off the, the, the ferry, just like the other character, the, the, the son, his name is Riley, Zach Guilford's character. Um, he gets off the ferry, you know, walking home. A priest gets off the ferry walking home, and with him, he brings this really big storage, uh, this really big, big box uh, of, I guess, his, his belongings. And right off the bat, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> You know, my my antenna goes up right off the bat. Now it could have been because I saw the trailer, so I know this is a this is going to be a, a horror uh, theme thing about something that's going to happen. <laughs> Some, you know, right off the bat, uh, you know, my 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 radar was up. So as we get to know these characters, and Riley's character is having you know issues with his dad, and just he doesn't seem to be able to connect. And he's, again, the, the guilt is overwhelming. He's, he's attending AA meetings on the mainland. But then after a while, he starts attending them at the island. We get introduced to this new priest. And this new priest comes along. And in the church, the person that's kind of overseeing things while this other priest is off, you know, getting medical help or whatever, which, which is a much older priest, really older priest. There's the character of Bev, played by Samantha Sloyan. And she is, oh my God, there, 
I would say there's three actors in this that deserve Emmys across the board. She plays the very religious, they describe their hero as overzealous. No kidding. Talk about, man, talk about passive aggressive, like her way or the highway. But she, you know, her religion and her point of view is the only thing that matters in the world. And it's funny because I remember, I remember I always say I never understood the definition of passive aggressive until I started working at 30 Rock in Manhattan. (laughs) There was something there of a, I'm going to be nice to you, but I really hate you. And I'm going to do it with a smile. I'm going to stick this knife into you with the biggest smile. That's another thing I remember. Uh, Also, when I started working here in Florida, one of my previous bosses said, kill him with kindness. Be nice about it, but let them have it. And it's like, wow. You take those two definitions, and that's this character. This character is so, wow. You know, she's throwing scripture at you and complimenting you, but really she's insulting you. Uh, You know, it's amazing uh, how they wrote the character and how the character, uh, the the actress, uh, was able to to push it through. It's, It's incredible. So we do meet this new pastor, and this new pastor is played by Hamish Linklater who, to me, looked very familiar. I couldn't place him exactly. I did a little research, and I do remember now where I know him from. He was in the um, show Legion. He had quite a number of episodes in Legion. And more recently, I saw him in The Stand, the new adaptation of Stephen King's The Stand. He was in that, too. Here, I would say he's the star of the show. He comes in, explains to everybody, hey, sorry, folks, you know, while so-and-so is away, I'm going to be here uh, kind of covering uh, for you guys and uh, until he returns. So, you know, everybody, you know, very nice to meet you <laughs> kind of thing. So as the story progresses, we start to see a couple of unusual things happening in the island. Uh, the first thing is um, apparently stray cats are disappearing. And one day they, a ton of them, like hundreds of them show up on the shore as if they were washed in by the by the sea with all kinds of uh, cuts around their their neck area let's say so again my radar is up i i can kind of see what direction we're heading here we don't know exactly what's going on the character of riley sees a person out in the during the storm right before this these cats show up and he thinks he looks like the priest that was there before and then he tries to catch up to him and he doesn't see it disappears the guy disappears we start to get these unusual encounters there was one guy who is attacked who's apparently a drug dealer and brought into a like a dilapidated house we don't see exactly who attacks him and things kind of start progressing as they normally would in the island you know the priest is having his 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 sunday mass and this and that and and some people don't exactly participate in it. There's a couple of other characters. Uh, there's there's a lot of characters, obviously. But there's a couple of other characters who... Uh, there's a, a doctor uh, that is taking care of her mother. And the mother is very elderly, dementia, you know, you name it. And she's kind of watching after her. And because she's so weak and so kind of out there, the priest, who is Father Paul, he comes to her house to uh to do the mass to you know to give her communion and that sort of thing and as we kind of continue with the story 
you know, people are are, are engaging in, in, in the service and they're taking their communion and they're, and some people don't, some people are not into it. Some people, there's, there's a few atheists, obviously there's a, there's a, the, the cop is, he's, he's um, Muslim. Riley is, he's just not into this. He doesn't have it. He, he's very kind of angry and, and he doesn't just, he just doesn't want to partake in this. But little by little, we start to see there's something going on and there's something happening. People all of a sudden start to develop symptoms of, that they're either getting younger or getting better. Uh, the girl in the wheelchair all of a sudden starts to walk. But in the manner that she starts to walk is through Father Paul doing kind of like a miracle thing where he tells her to stand up and walk towards him in the middle of the church service. So... Remember, this is supposed to be a Catholic, a Roman Catholic service, but there are elements of that happening now. Other people that are having all kinds of like, uh, like Riley's dad with back pain, his back pain starts going away. His mom stops wearing her glasses. Like she seems to be getting uh, better and, and slightly younger looking. The mother of that, of the doctor starts to look younger and her memory starts coming back and she starts walking because she was like bedridden. So all kinds of things are going on. Now, what's important here is that, and, and this is a um, this is a pitfall of a lot of shows or movies, is that when you see an actor that is wearing a lot of makeup to make them look old, a lot of times it's because you are going to see them young at, at one point. You're going to see them young. And that's what happens in a lot of these situations. A lot of the people who will seem to have a little too much makeup on eventually start to look younger and younger. So again, that's kind of a tell. Now, if you're not that picky and if you're not always looking for the the gotcha and you're looking for the, the, the twist, those type of things would surprise you more. They didn't surprise me as much because I knew that you got to do something with this character because he's wearing so much makeup and there's no reason to put this character in so much makeup. But that's such a small criticism. So things start to get wackier and wackier. And we get to a point in the story where we learn the background of this priest, whereby he, again, this is crazy spoiler territory, whereby he, a while back, went uh, on a trip, on a sabbatical, I guess, to uh, the Holy Land, to Israel. And... The guy was very old, frail, and already suffering himself from some sort of dementia that had already started happening. Because in the during the story, uh, some of the characters talk about, oh, you remember how you know he would forget this or forget that and mess this up and mess that up? Well, during a trip to one of these holy uh, locations, he gets lost in a windstorm, in a sandstorm. And he ends up taking shelter in a cave that's kind of hidden in the middle of the desert. And in that cave, he encounters what basically turns out to be a vampire, a full-blown reptilian-looking vampire, wings and everything. And in this state that he's in of partial dementia, possibly Alzheimer's, he equates what is happening to him to an angel reviving him when in reality what's happening is a vampire is feeding off of him and when the vampire is done he has become basically the familiar to the vampire he himself is not a vampire he doesn't have wings or anything like that but he becomes subservient in a way to this vampire but internally 
Um, whether it's the power of the vampire or the power of his religion, you see him accepting it and turning it into a miracle that happened to him. This vampire has made him young again. His, his mind is not the mush that it was before. And now he feels an obligation to bring this good news, this miracle, over to the island where he lives. So the person that left is the same person that came back, except nobody recognizes him because he's so young at this point. But there are little bits and pieces that happen. For example, the lady with the Alzheimer's started calling him by the name of the other priest because that's who she thought it was, which in reality it is. The genius of the story is that it works in like almost three different levels. You get to see your typical supernatural vampire story. Great. It works perfectly. It works perfectly on its own. But you also get to see how when you have the perfect storm of desperation, borderline poverty, people being scared, frightened, concerned about their futures, and the only thing they have left is their religion, you could see how you have a situation where that religion gets turned into whatever you want it to be turned into. In this particular case, with the character of Bev, the second in command of the church, let's say, she completely accepts the priest that just came back and all the things that start to happen in front of her with this priest. She, it's never confirmed in the story, but she is practically responsible, I think, for poisoning the dog of the drunk guy, which, is, which you'll see, and possibly even poisoning the priest in order to get that reaction that we end up getting. By the way, the way that the priest is able to start to turn everyone into, again, not vampires, but these, I think they're called familiars, these servants of the vampire, people that get fall under their, their spell is through the communion, the drinking of the blood. He eventually starts mixing the wine with the real vampire blood. And that's how everybody, or at least most of the people, kind of fall for this. But like I said before, there's multiple levels here. You have her, a religious fanatic who finally feels like this is my turn. This is my chance to do things my way. And she just rolls over everybody. She beats them over the head with scripture to the point where people are just so tired, angry, desperate, you name it that they'll just do whatever she says. And we do get to a point in the story where we get to witness a Jonestown type of scenario where this is it, folks. This is what we got to do in order to really turn everyone to the next level. We, you know, we need to die kind of thing. It's just unbelievable. And you could see, again, what's most amazing about it is that it doesn't have to be supernatural. You could see it happen because it's happened before. These sort of things happens before. The third level that this works on, and it's not as strong, but a little bit of it is there with that same character, is how somebody can take advantage of the religious fervor and the point where people basically refuse and stop and no longer want to accept science or facts or anything like that because... They just don't care anymore. Their lives are now kind of in a fantasy world where facts just don't matter. 
And that is super creepy. And to me, it's it's one of the most scariest parts of this series is that rational people, and this is something that I see happening politically nowadays, rational people are just so fed up with certain things that they don't care anymore about facts. All they care is about what one person tells them. No matter how outrageous it is, that's the way they're going to go. And that happens in this town, and that happens in the climax of this series, is that enough people are able to say, screw it, I don't care, I'm doing it, let's just get this over with, kind of feel that it overtakes the town, more or less. I'm not going to tell you who lives or dies, that will be your your non-spoilery material, But I'll tell you something, halfway through this series, there's one death that takes place that is completely, completely a heartbreaking death that you just cannot prepare yourself for it. And you don't see it coming. You don't see it coming. You do have some survivors at the end, let's put it that way, because you you don't want to be too much of a downer. And that opens up the door for what will happen next. Will they continue the story? Won't they continue the story? I kind of wish they would, but I kind of wish they wouldn't, because they crafted such a good structure to the story. But I am curious. That's the thing. I am curious about what happens next. This is the best thing I've seen this guy do. Granted, he's only done a couple things, but you know what? I'm afraid that after this, it could all be downhill for this director because this was just such a perfectly crafted story. And it's good that it's a miniseries because you cannot do this in two hours. No way in hell. This has to be stretched out and you have to get to know these characters. I'm sure I left out some characters and they're very important characters, but how things start to fall apart, how people just say no to logic and then say yes to whatever the hell it is that's coming in their direction that they don't understand or care to understand. They're kind of like, I'm done with this. I'm putting it all on your hands. You take care of it. I don't care anymore. You know, that kind of feeling. This is very well done in that manner. This director, it's funny now, now that I start going kind of backwards, has put this name or at least the, the idea of the story in his previous films. I just watched Hush, and in Hush, the lead character, who's Kate Segal, who happens to be his wife, I believe, and she's been in a lot of his uh, most current stuff. She plays a writer who just finished writing a book called Midnight Mass. Boom, there's Midnight Mass. In Gerald's game, there's a scene apparently, I don't remember it now, but I've seen it since because of the fact that they're connecting the two now, that one of the uh, the, the character that's handcuffed to the bed, uh, at some point, I think she reaches for a book and the book is Midnight Mass. So, I don't know, I think he's been quoted somewhere uh, saying that he likes to connect his films, but I don't think they, they connect in a, um, you know, like a, like a Marvel Universe type of connect, like super connected, but he likes to have a threat kind of running through a lot of these films. Another movie he did, I think, was Oculus. I think I saw that one about a, some kind of haunted mirror or something. And I think the mirror apparently shows up also on multiple films or uh, TV shows and stuff like that. This actor that I mentioned before, Hamish Linklater, oh my God. Again, Emmy, if this was a movie, this would be an Oscar. He is so damn good. He is so sympathetic to the point where you can kind of see honesty truthfulness and then a little switch clicks and you have delusional 
religious zealot. There is such a, a nuance in his acting. He is so charismatic and friendly and harmless. But then you see him click and you see the switch and you see the point where he crosses that line and the other character is waiting there and with open arms, the character Bev, she is there always waiting for that part of him to come out. She's wanted to be that person. She's She pushes him to that. There's such a great dynamic between those actors. This is such a great thing. Again, I can't stop gushing over it. One final thought that I had, that I actually had while I was watching, I think might have been the second episode. And that's when I kind of already thought I knew where this was going. I had a pretty good idea of where the entire show was going to go. You know, they were lining up who the bad guys were most likely going to be and how it was going to work. But one idea that I had while I was watching the show is that I wonder if they could kind of flip the script a little bit with this and subvert those thoughts so that instead the priest is the good guy of this whole series, uh, where he is there to defend the town from the religious evil, let's say, of the other person, <laughs> that second-in-command uh, lady. But it would just take so much to kind of massage the story and to to kind of, again, make the vampire the good guy here. You would have to really, really turn the whole thing around quite a bit so that now you have this hidden little island where people are living longer and younger thanks to the powers of of the vampire let's say and are able to cast away the inherent evils that the island already had to begin with the thing that i kept saying over and over to myself is well you're gonna need one heck of a bad guy if you're going to kind of turn it in that direction but it is part of the the genius of the script that the priest is so charismatic, as I mentioned before, that you want him to be good. You want to believe in him, which is exactly how it works and how people fall for him. So unless you've been asleep for the last 20 minutes, yeah, this is a good one. The second Netflix show I want to mention, again, another super popular show that seems to have taken Netflix by storm in terms of the popularity of the show. It's called Squid Game. It is a Korean series. How should I describe it? Well, it's basically about a whole bunch of people that are selected specifically for their situation in life, let's say, and are given the option of playing a game that will win them a lot of money. The catch is, which is something that apparently they don't understand until they get there, is that as all these people play, and there's like a, you know, they start off with a few hundred people. I think it's about 456, I believe. As they're playing, they will be killed. <laughs> so the way that the game is won is by basically killing off the other characters. But not necessarily directly, you know, in a Hunger Games style of killing in terms of just battle each other. Again, the word battle, battle royale, if you remember that film. No, this is more of, aside from those situations where they actually do kill each other, they play these games and the resulting losers of the game in one way or another end up dying. So 
The series itself is about nine episodes. And through these episodes, you get to learn the lives of some of these main characters. And specifically, obviously, the ones that are going to make it all the way to the end of the game. And you learn their backgrounds. And you learn a little bit about how the game works and how the game runs internally and the sub-levels of this game. I'm going to try to use some of the names of the uh, creators, <laughs> the actors, but I, I will warn you ahead of time, I'm going to completely butcher these names. They're all Korean names, and I don't speak Korean, and I'm going to mispronounce them, unfortunately, but I'll do my best. The director is Wang Dong-kyuk. A lot of things happening with this director now. At this point, he's considering whether or not to create a, a second series, a second season. This show apparently is the hottest thing on Netflix right now. It's gotten the most views for their initial run that they've ever had for Netflix. Going back to the format, and again, this is the type of show that is not innovative in terms of this idea has existed for a while and it's been done successfully many times. Again, I repeat from before, think of Hunger Games. Hunger Games didn't start this. To me, I think of Battle Royale, the Japanese uh, school futuristic film where these students have to basically kill each other in order to win. Where Battle Royale, because it was Japanese and it's a different kind of film, was super violent. It would never fly, you know, in the States unless it's a kind of like an artsy side film, let's say. I would never see that kind of film being put out there, you know, in a general movie theater. However, if you think about the concept of it, Hunger Games did a similar thing, except it was a little less violent, or at least it didn't show the, as much graphic violence as it's portraying anyway, that violence. So Hunger Games is the Hollywood version of, we just copied this idea from somewhere else and let's look at it. Now, there have been probably dozens and dozens of movies having to do with you know, playing these games and the winner of the game. You know, I go back to even The Running Man, if you think about it. As silly as that movie was, which was very different, the movie, than, than the Stephen King novel. The Stephen King novel was a little more serious. The movie became basically a, a Schwarzenegger shoot 'em up let's say. But anyway, I digress. Same thing, Running Man. Running Man is about a society where now you have uh, game shows where the loser dies. Okay, there you go. So we're back to that sort of thing. What makes this particular genre a little more different, and it kind of, again, falls more under the realm of the Hunger Games or, or even Battle Royale, is that you're dealing with a lot of people playing the game, a lot of people at the same time, and then... The losers being basically executed on the spot in one way or another. So it's like, wow. And just like the audience sees that for the first time, so do the players. So you do get that feeling that the players don't even know exactly how this works until they're really in it. Like I mentioned before, you're dealing with people that are somewhat desperate. Your lead character, whose name is Sung Gi-hoo, he is your main character, and we get to know him from the beginning in terms of he's divorced, and he's uh, out of money, and he's living with his mom, and he uh, he's gambles a lot, and he owes money to some uh, mobsters or loan sharks or something like that. So, you know, he's like down on his luck, and, and he's approached at, at one point by somebody who gives him that option. says, hey, listen, if you want to uh, make some quick money here, and it could be a lot of money, 
here's what you got to do. You got to call this number and we will set you up on this game and you could win, you know, billions of, of whatever it is that Korea has. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the dollar. I don't know what their monetary name is, but it's the equivalent of millions of dollars in US dollars. So but he goes through it and next thing you know, he's there and he starts to meet other people around them. And these are people that will eventually, as they call down the, the, the players, as more players keep dying and dying and dying, you're kind of left with it. it's him there's a, a a friend of his a guy he knew from town from his from the town where he grew up that apparently had become uh, successful and he was off as a businessman and and the rumors going around was he was super successful well guess what this businessman apparently also squandered his money away or or did something illegal or something ended up with nothing and the, i think the, the the police are after him now because he owes money or something so he meets him he meets uh a, a woman who I believe she's she had escaped from North Korea, so she's kind of uh, on the run too. She's trying to uh, raise her brother. They're both orphans and that sort of thing. She's there too. He also meets an old man who seems to be like at the end of his life, let's say. And he, uh, I think he even says that the only reason he's there is because he he's he's been diagnosed with something and he's always going to die. So he wants to just try to get some money, I guess, for his family or something. And there's another character who is Pakistani. I believe he's Pakistani. And he's also in a situation where he's running out of money and he's got a family and his job just uh, is going really bad. And he got into a fight with his boss and accidentally killed his boss. So now he's on the run. So he needs a way of kind of making things right monetarily, at least, uh, to be able to get his family out of there or something. So... You're meeting a lot of these characters. You also have, on the opposite spectrum, in a way, other characters that are not associated with these guys. And, uh, for example, there's one guy who's like a gang member, like a gang, not a leader, but like a mid-level leader who who doesn't seem to get the respect he wants from the upper level. And one way or the other, he ends up in this place, too. And he kind of becomes sort of the leader of the opposite or one of these other groups in there where he's gathering his people, too. So, to make a long story short, they start to play the game. And the game, every time the game is over, again, you know, you, the first game, they lose like, uh, I don't know, 100 people or something. It's, it's insane the amount of people that get killed. Very graphic. It's right there in your face. As this is happening, we also have a cop who is investigating the disappearance of his brother. And this cop is little by little able to infiltrate this group. At a certain point, part of the rules of the game include the ability to be able to stop and call it quits if enough people want to do that. And at a certain point, they do this. Once they realize what an insane game this is, and everybody's brought back to their homes. Everybody's sent back. But little by little, everybody wants to come back and play because their lives are that much more difficult. That is how the cop gets tipped off because the lead character goes to file a complaint about what this thing he just went through. But guess what? After a couple of days, like I said, most of these players are all back and they're playing the game. And the rest of the season, episode by episode, you start to learn about their backgrounds, all the things I was telling you about, and then you get to meet a little bit of the behind the scenes. There's another subsection happening within the game where they're they're like selling organs in the black market. Then you have another section where they bring in the VIPs, the people that are kind of funding this whole thing, to come and watch the games in person. They're all wearing masks. It is 
It is a wild ride. The show is in Korean. You can watch it dubbed in English. I suggest you watch it in the in the native language. Watch it with subtitles. I know there was a little bit of a controversy with the subtitles because the translations are not perfect, but that always happens. You never get a perfect translation with foreign films, but believe me, it's it's good enough. It's you you get what's happening. It's it might not be perfect, but you get what's happening. This thing kept you on the edge of your seat the entire time. One additional issue having to do with the translations, not so much, like I mentioned before, having to do with the closed captioning, but there is this sequence where we're listening to the VIPs and they're talking in English uh, for a lot of this sequence. And yes, I remember listening to it and it sounded weird. It sounded almost like bad acting, like they're delivering these lines in a bizarre manner. And I just read an article with one of the actors who played one of the VIPs, and he talks about how those lines are delivered the way they were delivered because that's how they were written and then translated. He says that when they translate lines to English, from Korean to English, sometimes, depending on the method of translation, you lose some of the intent of what people are saying. And it kind of sounds weird sometimes when you do that. The actor also kind of claims that he, he didn't really have too much direction in terms of the, I guess, the, the background of the individuals, that they were meant to sound like kind of idiots and morons and just like, just really bad people. So they didn't really have any juicy lines that would then translate it in an English manner. And yes, I, I know this happens a lot of times when you do flip to a different language that if you don't do it right, it kind of brings you out of the story a little bit where you're like, ooh, they couldn't afford to do that. He also said that because they were delivering the lines through these masks, they also sound a lot weird than, than they would normally sound. Plus, he also said that the other problem is also that when you have a Korean editor who doesn't maybe understand English as well, he's not always going to be picking the correct takes or, or looking out for the, the not so good takes as opposed to using the better ones. So he says it's a combination of those things that might be the reason why when you do get to that section of the show, things sound a little strange. Now, the manner in which I viewed the show, I did this thing, which is different than my, my wife and kids. They like to binge watch shows. I take them one day at a time. I do one show a day of one kind of show. So this thing lasted a, a good nine days at least for me because uh, uh, it actually lasted a little longer because I had to skip a few days because I was busy. But uh, it, it's great. Like I said, it is insanely popular. It's great when you see something like this breakthrough that is coming out of completely somewhere else. It's not the same thing over and over again. Again, like I said, you can see the roots of this story in other stories that we've seen before. But for some reason, this is just so much more modern and realistic in terms of Obviously, Hunger Games was very sci-fi-ish, if you will. Battle Royale is a little dated now, I would imagine. And budget-wise, this feels and looks like it has it had so much more money to invest. And to develop the characters, that's the thing. You develop the characters episode by episode, and you get to learn these individual people about what brought them there. I really hope they do a, a second series because obviously the, the I'm not going to spoil it, but at the end, 
you know, things happen in a somewhat good way, I guess. But there are some very lingering questions and, and what happens next, because apparently this game had been going on for like 20 or 30 years. So these things are happening and continue to happen, possibly in other locations. We never know. Because they, they're they brought to like a special island to play this game. Anyway, there are your two fantastic new Netflix shows that you guys can watch. I love that we have so much material these days to consume. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. We looked at two Netflix shows, Midnight Mass and Squid Game. Great shows. I cannot rave enough about them. I cannot recommend them enough. Out of the two, my favorite one is Midnight Mass. But, man, do I wish and I hope that they do make a second series or a second season of these two. Or maybe one. Or maybe or maybe they're just so good that I don't want them to mess it up and just leave it the way they are. Completely uh, satisfied. Cannot recommend them enough to anybody. If you're into this kind of genre stuff, if you listen to our show and you know our particular taste, this is right there exactly where we want it to be. So, on behalf of everyone, thanks for listening and we'll see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2021. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots radio network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. <laughs>